Hey everybody, it's Fatal from Fatal Affair. You can now catch this podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, or Stitcher. Thanks for enjoying the show. Yeah, I'm Fatal, but it's also Loki, and we are talking about Loki Episode 5 on the Fatal Foils today. I'm sorry for this episode upload being a little late, but here we are, and the show is just as jam-packed as ever. I went out and I saw Black Widow, so there's been a lot of writing and a lot of ideas getting tossed into the air and and how we're going to approach that next show. But right now, we've got an incredible Fatal Foils on the Disney Plus series Loki and its fifth episode. In this episode, wait, for those who don't want this show spoiled, go get out of here. Get out of here right now. Listen to the evacuation. Take leave. Up, up, and away, Excelsior. Get on out of here because once we start... I can't stop. Here we go! Grab the Tesseract, teleport to the TVA. Is that how it even works anymore? Well, let's get our temp pads and get the F out of here, man. And right into this week's episode. This episode is called Journey Into Mystery. And while that serves as the feeling for Loki going into the new setting with multiple Lokis, and him being our origin Loki, our first Loki, with his appearance being first amongst all of these Lokis. It is also a reference to Loki's first appearance in the comic books back in October of 1962, when we introduced Loki in issue number 85 of Journey into Mystery, Thor himself debuting in August of 1962 in number 83 of Journey into Mystery, written by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber. Journey into Mystery actually premiered in June of 1952, 10 years before Thor's debut at all, and was a horror anthology under Atlas Comics. It was not yet Marvel Comics. Thanks to the recap of this episode, I noticed that when Tom Hiddleston had to tell Sylvie something from episode 4, when he right before he got pruned, and he said, Sylvie, I have to tell you something. And then the next scene in the recap being Sylvie wanting Ravona to tell her everything. It was just really cool contrast to keep, you know, us on the edge of our seats before the episode even began. Open up on the TVA in their omnipotent computer, with the computer showing a date back to 1901 Oak Island, Nova Scotia. This date can be remembered as the year that shows ancient sailors leaving behind an old sword that puts them present on North America thousands of years before Columbus even set sail. This can be in reference to the sword left behind at the end of episode 1 by whoever the mysterious hooded figure is, possibly saying these Roman soldiers on Nova Scotia were time travelers. This gorgeous and cinematic moving shot showing the TVA, the events the that unfolded after the ev- elevator went down, and a beautiful tracking shot of destroyed New York all set to an epic orchestral score. What is this place? Where are we? And who are you? This is the Void, that's Eliath, and we're his lunch. Eliath is a smoke monster superstar in this episode. Much like most characters in the MCU, Eliath has a past that takes some deep diving which allows off-the-wall theorizing, like how his first appearance was in Avengers, the Terminatrix Objective in 1993, which had US Agent, War Machine, and Thunderstrike. Two out of three of these characters having a Disney Plus show role, with US Agent and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, War Machine and the Armored Wars coming soon, and we can maybe think this is a hinted tease 
at Eric Masterson gaining Asgardian abilities come the next Thor movie. Or maybe Thor assuming the name Thunderstrike with Jane Foster in his place as the next Thor. But let's replace all three characters with Loki and Enchantress. We still have Eliath who was there in the benefit of Kang for that comic run back in 1993. This may reinforce Kang's hint in the next episode that we might get at the end, some sort of tease or something, especially now that we saw Yellow Jacket's oddly sized helmet. I actually thought this, that the TVA operated in the quantum realm because all we have that can associate with time for regular characters is the Pym particles. It's the only way they can access the quantum realm, but they had to find a scientific way to do it. It wasn't this cosmic omnipotent source that just bestowed time traveling upon them. And all the mysteries surrounding Janet Van Dyne in Ant-Man and the Wasp with her DNA evolution, could this, could that even be a hint of the X-Men? We know Kang is coming in Quantumania, so is this a hint at a hint at a tease? Did Yellowjacket appear in the Quantum Realm instead of that bone-twisting supposed death in Ant-Man 1? Also, let's talk about the Living Tribunal, who oversees the entire multiverse, like the Watcher of the Nth Dimension. Him even being a statue could presume time-goers banished to the Void have been judged by the Living Tribunal, and they built a shrine that's long been destroyed, since, since time again works differently here than in other places. But that means there's a time judge above the supposed timekeepers. That whoever is behind all this wanted to bury the memory or activity of the living tribunal and assume their job to the grand cosmos. Power like that could redirect time in anyone's favor. <clears throat> Kang. Mordo and Doctor Strange even reference the cosmic deity with the staff of the living tribunal. And with Doctor Strange 2 peeking out the horizon, we're probably pretty close to seeing massive powers and gods operate amongst the MCU. Like how they always loom over comic events as a backup plan for writing or something. In case we don't know how to end something, we could just have a god come in and do some crazy things. Sometimes it's just cool to put the Watcher in places, like anywhere. Like with the new Disney Plus Marvel series, What If, coming out soon, he's just there. After the title card, we see Ravona and Sylvie still powing it out. Sylvie saying, your whole reality has been destroyed. Tell me, how's it feel to be on the other side of it? This is the moment Sylvie has been waiting for all her life and still biding time because she needs answers that Ravona has, but not before some spiteful back and forth banter taking place in the courtroom set that we've seen a few times pretty quickly after just being below the TVA last episode. Ravona still playing coy with Sylvie. I saw this little back and forth of maybe Loki's alive as a reflection of the MCU audience with all their questions, showing again that they're paying attention to us when putting on these shows. Like with the whiteboard from WandaVision, when Ravona said Loki isn't dead, I immediately wanted Mobius back. This back and forth kind of explained another piece of how the multiverse is going to be plunged into madness. That a pruned timeline isn't destroyed because it's possible to because it's impossible to destroy all of its matter for some reason. I think like the Infinity Stones energy and the stones themselves acting as a vessel for this invincible power, only being transferred upon the stone's destruction in a case we see with overtime and many more, transferring these pruned universes to a void at the end of time so they can stop growing, putting them in a stasis, so to speak. And if they are all in one area, I thought instantly about how how all of them could be colliding. One by one, these little imbalances or a nexus event, so to speak, could push them into each other's courses. Timekeepers building a utopia, possibly, by colliding all these universes into one. Regardless, nothing comes back from the void. Also in the void, we see Kang Enterprises, spelled with a Q and an E, just some random company that acquired the Avengers Tower from Tony Stark in the comics, 
The CEO of Kang was Mr. Griffin, who turned out to be Kang the Conqueror. A constant theme of this show, Ravona saying, trust me. Mobius said, how come the people you can't trust are always saying trust me when he was in the second episode? Several thousand questions. Yeah, I have one. What just fell out of the sky? Don't die isn't a plan. It's a general demand of living. <laughs> Loki can't ever accept Loki's not acting like a Loki. Loki, in an outburst demanding answers, basically expressing my general curiosity as well. Days, months, Loki doesn't even know how long since he's conquered New York. Again, reinforcing that time works differently at the TVA. What we've seen versus what is actually happening with no measurement of time in that reality, which I'm heartbroken to report I didn't even find all that strange. I'm glad we get to spend time with Gator Loki sprinkled amongst all this mass exposition, and he's sensitive, apparently. Loki couldn't find Alligator Loki strange after all this? I wouldn't find it strange, I find it just <laughs> life-changing. Loki, Loki survive. It's what they do. I instantly loved the chemistry in the group of all the Lokis, all of them waving their hands in the air, explaining on the nuances of things, as Mobius said, a prince telling me how the real world works. All of them are super Loki. All of them are just explaining how somebody else is more of a fool than they are. And then, woo, we get a crazy line from Kid Loki. Crazy bomb-ass line saying when, why was he the leader? He said, I killed Thor. It was the most badass line of the entire episode. And then we get the Thanos copter, man. <laughs> that was, that was too much. Taking refuge underground like the TMNT, the Loki seeming weary from Loki's patronize Loki proper asking if he left his glorious purpose at the TVA, something like that. I'm starting to get on the Sylvie X Loki self-love hype train for sure. Sylvie wanting to go past the void of time because just like how she hid amongst apocalypses, the person behind all this would hide in time still being written. I could never believe Ravona after what she's done, so it seems more fitting that Miss Minutes would aid her ruse instead of both all of a sudden turning a new leaf to help Sylvie. Sylvie being practiced in the art of the lie was able to see this time-buying plot, but not soon enough before the TVA come bursting into the room. Closer to apprehension, Ravona keeps talking for the TVA to prune her and asked if she has any good memories to be put into a loop with. Sylvie says she she had one good memory, imprunes herself, which is smart as we've seen Sylvie constantly seeing the whole situation. After learning pruning isn't the end of it, she decides to transfer herself into the void, or even if there was a chance Ravona was lying about that too, it didn't phase Sylvie given everything up until this point. In a camera pan into the Loki hideout, a bat cave of sorts for the Lokis, Fans caught a glimpse at Mjolnir, or a version of Mjolnir, some variant of Mjolnir, and a frog in a jar. Frog has entered the MCU. This frog is a reference to Simon Walterson, who was turned into a frog by a witch and got a frog-sized version of Mjolnir, turning him into the Frog of Thunder. I want to feed wine to Gator Loki. That's a screenshot I'll never forget. That's Gator for growling and liar at the same time. Gator Loki calling it how a Loki sees it. Gator Loki having ate a cat as a Nexus event. I wonder if this would be a flurkin holding an infinity stone in its black hole of a stomach. This apparently being fighting words though, Gator Loki has a quick temper. Old Loki having been from a timeline that has plagued Marvel theorists for a couple years now saying he used a projection on Thanos so real that he was able to make his escape, saying he didn't die during the next snap in Infinity War. I myself believed this for a while, then gave up hope on this theory after learning of the Disney Plus show. I said the only reason to have Loki escape in Endgame would be
would be if he was actually dead from the previous movie. Old Loki saying he triggered a Nexus event because he missed Thor and wanted to go see him. Lokis have one part to play, the god of outcasts. This immediately reinforces why Sylvie and Loki triggered the massive Nexus alert to B-15 and Mobius. Lokis aren't supposed to have companionship in the eyes of the TVA. Loki saying he's just like all the others, but the woman Loki, well, she's different. Hiddleston's Loki gets a rush of exuberance when referring to Sylvie, saying how she's not trying to conquer, she's trying to take the TVA down. That's something different, not ruling something, destroying it, but for a purpose, not just being because he wanted to, or she. Going into Steve Rogers' speech mode, trying to give a rallying cry to the other Lokis for assistance in taking down the shark in the sky, to no success. Loki leaves the hideout to be greeted by President Loki. Which one of us are you? Loki is in a nightmare having to deal with all of himself. This alone is going to make for great character development, because I imagine Loki won't be like any of these Lokis fundamentally by the end of this series. Sylvie waking after being pruned, she finds herself a little too close to a lie but this makes for a thrilling scene of Loki running for safety with a little enchantment in the middle. She swiftly is able to view Elioth's buried memories, a destroyed castle amongst all of this quantum confusion or whatever it is. Mobius is back! Yes! And he's driving a Skinny's pizza delivery vehicle. So majestic. You really are one of you. This is Mobius's first real interaction with Sylvie and they are fleeing Elioth. What a first impression. Boastful Loki back at the hideout having betrayed kid Loki. President Loki appropriately saying we prefer snakes to wolves. This scene got funnier as it went on in both feeling and action, all while Loki proper watches in full-on embarrassment. Gator Loki biting President Loki's hand off had me rolling on the ground. An all-out Loki war for glorious purpose. This scene was the embodiment of the show's name. It had so much Loki in it, it was too much and not enough at the same time. I felt Loki spoiled. Old Loki demonstrating his proficiency in sorcery by not only aiding the last few goodish Lokis escape, but also leaving behind a very believable projection. Whenever a Loki dares try to fix themselves, they are sent to the void to die. This felt like a grander concept to me, also serving as commentary for how the multiverse characters are stuck in a timeless pocket. An instant in a different universe, never being allowed to change because the writers need a character who is used to playing the part, used to being a bad guy for that purpose, with no room for character development lest the one-off series go on for hundreds of comic issues, but normally just six or so, and granted a lot can happen in those series, but not often served as canon. I loved seeing Kid Loki and our Loki stand side by side making me wonder what our young Avenger has in store moving forward after this series. One another they're instantly trusting each other, kinda. I'm sure one wants to stab one another in the back in, in some light. Annihilating entire realities, orphaning little girls. Classic hero stuff. Sylvie sarcastically patronizing Mobius, and Mobius apologizing. Both deciding to return to Eliath, and so did our group of Lokis with a game plan. Here's the game plan. Find its heart, or brain, or whatever, do it in. A solid plan. A freshly pruned ocean vessel full of sailors attracts the attention of Eliath in the distance. This vessel is actually the USS Eldridge, which was a World War II Navy boat that ran the 1943 Philadelphia Experiment, which was said to have rendered the ship invisible and in teleporting it away. 
A car? What's that mean? Normally that means marauders or pirates, but this time it means Sylvie and Mobius. Reunion time! Loki trying to stifle his overwhelming excitement to see his best friend and his new love interest. He introduces child them, future them, and alligator them. Sylvie states Eliath is the guard dog for the person hiding at the end of time. Sylvie's plan is to enchant Eliath. I'm so excited to see into whatever that thing's head looks like. Ravona interrogates Hunter B-15. This conversation brings the question back up, loyal to who? Who is Ravona loyal to and what is all this? Why put on the act? B-15 saying the timekeepers weren't real and Ravona wanting to maintain power asks why that changes anything. Ravona not wanting to protect someone, but wanting to stabilize order to use the TVA as a means and an army like in the comics, Ravona was the leader of another army. But Ravona only wants answers. Sylvie needs them. Ravona asking for files on all of time to find the person behind all of this. I think naturally all Loki's respect and like Mobius, again for his investigative and passionate nature about Loki, even breaking down alligator Loki with what he knows, claiming it's all about the game within the game for Lokis. It's never too late to change. Even Sylvie likes Mobius. Sylvie states Mobius cares about Loki, which is something very meaningful to Lokis because they are constantly making it very difficult for people to like them, but this has him now thinking about caring for people, in which he cares very, very deeply for Sylvie. Now begins the romantic tension between these two right here. Man's even conjures a blanket just big enough for one person, probably for snuggle reasons. He'll eventually have to make it a little bigger to fit her, because she's shy too. They're both shy. They're very new to this relationship stuff. Sylvie making light with humorous conversation. It was such a smooth and spicy scene altogether. I was watching like, ooh, go kids, go. Both deflecting conversation by dismissing Mobius Nexus theory on their connection. Gotta bring down the TVA and save the universe when you think about it. And then boom, like the cutest of kids on a first date, awkwardly getting close under a blanket for two, both of their faces said it all and it was adorably acted out. I'm all in for self-love Lokis. How do I know in my final moments you won't betray me? This is super romantic and super great question. I mean, Loki has betrayed literally everyone he's ever known often more than once, but Loki claims he's changed, even dropping the formalities, a line so powerful by him just saying the word okay. That okay says a million things when towards Sylvie. Because of the time they've spent together, that okay means everything to a god about presentation. It's not a flashy agreement, it's the realest Loki can be right now, and he made me believe he wouldn't betray Sylvie. Official canon shippage. The Lokis reconvene on a hill a distance from Eliath, with the plan to enchant it. Proper Loki joining Sylvie as he won't her let her be alone. Classic Loki and Kid Loki saying their goodbyes, gifting Loki a dagger. Heroic music score a flutter. Mobius and Loki have earned this point to me, where the chemistry is explosive in their own moments of goodbye. I doubt for the last time in this series, Loki joking how he always gets away, and Mobius is gonna return to the TVA and burn it to the ground like Loki wanted. Get that hand out of here! Loki smacks away Mobius's hand so he can get on in there for the hug and he really locks it tight. Top 10 friendships of all time now. I would have never have let go of either one of them. You're my favorite. Loki's all marching in a different direction, but what's up with classic Loki? With no time to wait for a branch, Loki creates a distraction by straight sprinting perpendicular to Sylvie. More of that Disney budget coming into play with fiery magic, green enchantment, and a CGI storm that would make Twister jealous with rage. Classic Loki returns to project a full-scale Asgard to distract the monster with. A big enough meal with a big enough meal will draw the attention of any animal. Classic 
like Loki standing in front of Asgard looked like commissioned art or a desktop. It was so beautiful. It was like a painting. But no, it was just the majesty of Asgard. With the Asgard projection fading and time running out, both Lokis use enchantment on Eliath. Classic Loki shouting glorious purpose as he is greeted with the face of his demise. I kept getting chills during this scene. It was insane. It was retro comics and modern retelling all in one glorious presentation. It was insane. This felt like it matched the titanic scale of comic clashes. I even got flashes of when Magneto took on Galactus. My comic jimmies were popping, and the iconic helmet falls to the ground in a glorious end. Open your eyes. This scene also felt just super Loki, epic in scale, with the highlighted green surrounding the area of darkness and submerging both Enchantress and Loki in that green glow, as they look upon the memories of Elias to find the hideout of whoever is behind this. Maybe only some of this. Then we get a cut to the credits, and that's a wrap on Fatal Foils Loki Episode 5! We took our journey into mystery and came out with even more questions. We're hoping to have those questions answered just to leave us with more questions. After the season and possibly series finale for the Disney Plus series, Loki. And with the season finale of Fatal Foils Loki a few days after... Look out for the episode on Black Widow at some point as well and follow us for coverage on all things fandom, Marvel or otherwise. Go fulfill some glorious purpose and we'll do the same. See you guys later. What's going on, everybody? It is Fatal from Fatal Affair. Thank you for listening to this podcast and you can catch this show and all the shows we do under Fatal Affair on Google. Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for supporting the show.